All right, Jack, what are you going to talk about today? Well, I think it's a good time for us to start talking about the soon-to-be-released Sledgeducation Cybersecurity Priorities Report, the CPR. Yep, and this is uh, a lot of work that we've been going through, uh, putting it together with our partners and really a lot of participation from the state, local, and higher education market. For those of you in the audience, that's what SLED means, right? State, local, higher education. And they're different. And, you know, we recognized pretty early on in our discussions with these teams and all the work that New Harbor's been doing for years, they had a different set of priorities and they wanted to be heard. And so the report's meant to address some of that, but probably better to start with you talking a little bit about how you see them as being different than regular clients that we've served in the past. I think the, um, their organizations are very different, starting with the legislation, mm-hmm. right? And <clears throat> given in any given state, county or city, there could be legislation in place that prevents agencies or departments from working with an iron. Like law requires that they be independent. So that, that's one aspect or kind of like wrinkle in mm-hmm. how they navigate stuff. Another good example is um, in the course of delivering services to their constituents, things that are required by law, services that we pay for through our taxes that the state has to ensure, city, county, wherever, Um, has to ensure these services are available to their citizens requires that they be more public Mm. than their private counterparts, right? If you need to get in touch with your local representative, their contact information needs to be made online. So you know how to reach out to them or uh, you need to reach someone in a specific agency because you're trying to get a permit, Mm -hmm. right? All that information is public. It's online. Or there's an application that you need to get like a fishing license or a hunting license that needs to be made available online so that you can do those things. D- DMV is like another mm-hmm. one, right? But everything's at the edge. Everything's made public so that, um, you know, the citizens of that state or their constituents can actually receive those services. But we all know that naturally kind of puts you on your back foot from a defensive standpoint of like, how do you protect all of these things when the avenue which to perpetuate an attack is made obvious, right? It's made public, Right. You want to send a phishing email to an agency head? Yep, just go ahead and look them up. You got their email address all formatted correctly, send it in. Yep. You want to do a social engineering attack? Phone numbers online. You want to, uh, you know, interested in trying to find a way to get information from residents of the state, right? You can go on their DMV website, try to, you know, try to exploit Run, run exploits and dynamic form fields. Like, yeah, you can do it. It's totally available. It's available to everyone. It has to be available by law. And so like all of these things in total, like it creates challenges in this industry vertical that like I don't see exists in, in other places. And for me, just personally, like it feels good to help people that need help. Like that's just mm-hmm. who I am. But also like the number of people that are protected as an umbrella, like all of the information from all the citizens in any one state, um, being able to have protection in place over that or create protections and protect that information being lost is like, it's a pretty good feeling. You know? It's interesting you should mention this, that the, the number of voters, taxpayers, what have you, is, yeah. is exactly what I was thinking about as you're going through that. Because as you're talking about, you're talking a lot about the threat surface, right? The fact yeah. that all the information's available, providing easy vectors and all the applications are literally created to be publicly available. Yep. And as you were saying, and I'm like, yeah, and their user base, yeah, it's everybody. 
Yeah, right? right. In the smallest state, it's like a million people, right? Oh, the yeah. The biggest CISOs that we know don't have a million end users. And now we're going to yeah. talk to publicly funded state institutions and say, by the way, your security has to cover more users with a more diverse set of applications that have to be available to your point 24 seven. And you got to go do this with whatever you can scrape out of the legislature. Yeah. And TV. So this, I had this conversation two weeks ago. No, like, so like we're talking about endpoint security mm -hmm. strategies, I'm like just, Hey, what's the population endpoints? So they're like, uh, 75,000. I'm like, damn, do you realize that's bigger than like most fortune 100 companies? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's just to put that in perspective, like that's more endpoints than I think what Oracle or some of like the big. So you're talking about state employees, state employees, or in this case, um, it was, it was different. They were trying to like create services that were available to the population. Sure. sure. Right. And it's so, but just the number of assets yeah. is just big. Unimaginable. Yeah. yeah. And the other piece of it was, as we're talking through the sort of the non, the non threat flavor of it. I just want to think about the funding a little bit, because it's something that I've been really impressed by for the organizations that do it well, is cybersecurity tends to be a long-tailed investment. You know, I want to go, I want to move to federated ID, or I want to move to single sign-on, or I want to move to new endpoint infrastructure. Yeah, I'm going to take a couple of years, or more than a couple of years, to you know, age out the other, improve my applications, change out the systems, yep. two to five years, right? Well, to your point about legislation, a lot of times bills and administrations aren't allowed to spend past their tenure, right? So you've <laughs> right. got That's an amount one. of time, yeah. right? And so I'm going to go buy a whole bunch of new endpoint stuff. Great. And now it's two years later and they're like, all right, got to do some more. Like no money, right? Because they're yeah. not allowed to make commitments for a future administration or a future Congress to be able to spend. And so these leaders who actually make it happen, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that makes them different is that they're capable of making good ideas sticky fast. Yeah. So that the the next administration or the next appointee who comes into the office recognizes the value of what's already been done. And that to me, that's something that's really different as well, right? Because no matter how much uh, a sled leader may want to continue on, the vagaries of politics makes them much more at risk than will be a successful IT person or security person inside a major yeah. enterprise. It's interesting. I am. Um, <clears throat> I think the security leaders in state, local, mm -hmm. higher ed have gotten better at these things. Cleanly articulating a problem set and cleanly articulating um, how to solve it so well that that does. Now we are seeing that carry over to administration and saying, you know, here's the problem. Here's how we solve it. Mm -hmm. So now the next administration kind of inherits it and everybody in the population be like, hey, what about that problem, right? That we can now clearly articulate. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess I can't ignore that anymore, yeah. right? We've got to, got to continue to fund it. Yeah, 100%. It strikes me that as, as we were doing some of the interviewing and just putting together some of the content in the CPR, in this education CPR, you know, what we found out was a lot of these people were really well-informed, to your point, yeah. because maybe part of it's because they have to communicate relatively complex security topics to political appointees and legislators who don't know anything, really yeah. don't know anything, right? These people, I mean, I've, historically I've met folks who had someone who read their emails for them because they didn't want to deal with the computer, right? And this is- uh, and this is stories. Yeah, yeah, fact, right? And so, you know, maybe one of the reasons why these leaders who succeed are being successful is because they're finding a way to communicate. And that's a skill we could take back to private industry as well. Yeah. This capacity and this respect for people who are smart, but who aren't cybersecurity smart or IT smart, but who have to be informed to get their support. To kind of 
pull that forward a little bit more is um, the leaders are more business savvy mm. than I think they've been in the past. Right. And willing to take uh, responsible for problems that might be a little bit bigger than them. Right. Like let's use the ASCO as like a sure. really great example. I'm saying, um, so the ASCO for those who aren't familiar with it is the application security center of excellence. Application security within um, the sled vertical is a problem, right? You have applications published out to the edge. You have vendors responsible for developing these applications, right? You, you know, your threat landscape's very high. Um, your attack factor is very, very high. But when we look at some of the leaders that, you know, we've talked about in the, the education report and the CPR report, um, is that we know how to fix that issue. But in order to get in front of it, we have to fix the business process first, which requires you fix the business practices in other departments before it even becomes a security issue, which requires like a little bit higher level understanding of how a business operate or how an entity operates. And I think that's, that's a marked change from mm. what I've seen in the past. But I think it kind of comes back to like what you're saying too, is like, like kind of starts with communication, situational awareness, being able to articulate the problem set a little bit better. And now we're starting to see people solve business challenges. Yeah. Well, I just want to stick with the ASCO because I think it's a great freaking example, right? Because that purchasing move, right? Understanding the importance of the purchasing motion is so critical in the public sector because oftentimes contracts are signed. And if you don't think about it ahead of time, that this thing is going to evolve over time and you know, the points you were making, the threat landscape is going to evolve over time. New threats appear. Yeah. There's no recourse available. Yeah. Right. So the organization that purchased it is suddenly like, wow, vulnerable vendor. Hey, this. And they're like, well, we're out of business now. Or yeah. no, you didn't give us any money for that. So we're not going to fix it. It caused a problem. And that's, you know, in this education report, when we talk about application security and, and we'll do a section, uh, you know, an episode on this on its own. But the idea here is that the leader we're talking about from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts um, actually put contract language first. How do you start right. stopping the problem before it gets in? So you're not just reacting to it after it's discovered. How do you set the expectation with the vendors, the implementers, the developers, that it's their responsibility to make sure you stay clean? The way, the way you described that, you made it sound easy. Oh, God, but, no. Uh, but yeah. I, I think it's, that is like, simply put, is actually really, really hard to do. Nobody does it. Nobody does it. <laughs> I think it's too easy for people to like feel like they're a victim. Be like, oh, I'm inheriting all these applications that are super vulnerable and I'm just getting popped all the time. Yeah. But rather instead of like saying, taking a step back and looking at the problem globally and saying, okay, like how do we get in front of it and fix it forever? Right on. And that's like a higher level sense of responsibility. I'm saying like, I'm no longer going to be the victim. I'm going to go out and solve this like once and for all. Right on. And we're going to hold people accountable for getting this. Yeah, fixed. and I think it has more impact as we're talking about state and local as opposed, like yeah. everybody should be worried this in a different way, but yeah. it's easier for commercial companies just to say, I got to write a check to fix this problem, right? In the public sector, you've got to be thinking in advance because if that thing gets popped and now I've got to fix it and there's no money, it's taking money from something else that's equally or more important, Right. And so yeah. that, that's one of the reasons why I think that you the may not have the budget. Is fact, <laughs> right. Cause you don't really have a budget. Yeah. Right? You had a budget, but next year or two years or pick your administration period, you're going to have a different budget. Yeah. It's just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What else do you think is kind of a significant we've seen in kind of the, the industry? Really? Well, this is something that, that I had seen, but hadn't put into words until you described it the first time, yep. which is this willingness in the public sector to be more open with one another, to collaborate a lot more than we see in private sector, right? And you've got like 
a good example of the private sector that worked okay is the FSI SEC, but it's very, very different, right? That's just sharing sort of event information and smart folks who develop personal relationships and yeah. talk to one another. But in general, like bank A is not going to talk to bank B about all the security problems or mm. retailer A or to talk to retailer B, hey, this is why we're screwed up. They're just not going to do it because they're competing with one another. Whereas in the States, it's a rising tide, right? A really, really brilliant CIO or CISO from one state is proud and happy to be talking about what they've done to help other states. It's good for their own brand. It's good for their state. It's good for whatever administration they're in, perhaps. But it's also good for everybody else, right? They're very, yeah. very happy to collaborate because they are, and the very best that we've met, they're public servants. At the yeah. heart of it, they are totally public servants, and I admire the hell out of them. Um, but that, I think, makes them really different as well. But, you know, you put, you put words to it first. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm sure I probably just got the words from someplace else and reuse them. But, but it's true. It is an interesting, um, like, disposition. Some of these people, like, they, they are totally selfless. Yeah. You know, wanting to do the right thing and wanting to collaborate. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't really see that elsewhere. No, I mean, I'll give you an example, right? It, just a counterexample. Like, work on a standards body for security sometime. Right. I mean, aside from the masochism involved. Right. But you go there and it is full of individuals who know a lot about a space who are trying to influence a standard in a space so that everybody can speak in a common language. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, really, the only people who can afford to be there from the private sector side are going to be people who are vendors who have an enlightened self-interest oh, yeah. in a specific outcome. They're not there as public servants. They are there to advocate for their own ends. Now, in the best of all possible worlds, it's because they built their tech or they built their company or they sell their stuff because they think it's the right way to do it. In which case, them advocating for their own personal position, I completely get it, right? But I think in most cases, they're responsible for getting a standard to speak a language that benefits their value proposition, right? So yeah. unlike the public servants, when collaboration like this happens in the private sector, it is very much enlightened self-interest. We hope enlightened is a capital E, but it may just be a really, you know, two point font enlightened and self-interest is 36 point font, right? Because yeah. they, are, they are moving a common collaborative standard in a direction which benefits what they see as their end. And I think it's why a lot of those standards are super complicated because mm -hmm. there's 11 vendors with 11 different ideas, all of which have to be serviced by it, right? Yeah. Versus what, we see, what we've seen and one of these things that I think differentiates SLED, which is they're trying to come up with something that actually solves the problem. They're not, they don't have an enlightened interest in it. They are simply trying to do the right thing. And I think that that really distinguishes the market. And I think it's one of the reasons why they asked us directly and indirectly, if somebody could please create something that spoke to them in the way that the Dibber or the, uh, from Verizon or the um, M-Trends from Andient or one of the other, you know, more popular yeah. cross-sector reports comes out and speaks to everybody, but mainly to private sector. Can you imagine if those, uh, those certification bodies or standard bodies that you talked about actually did totally remove any self-interest from it. Like it's not, it's not an immortality project. Like we're just going to do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it is <laughs> That's brutal. Right. And, and, and something we haven't talked about, which is another thing that distinguishes sled and the people who run those standards body is the scarcity of experience. Mm. Right. You know, we've seen and heard, you know, that there is for people oh, who are gosh. not motivated by service, right. Folks who come and go really, really quickly. Hard to find somebody with a lot of cybersecurity experience who remains in the public sector, specifically who remains in SLED, right? Maybe they want to bounce to an intel agency or someplace in the Fed, or they bounce to private industry because they know a lot and they work their asses off. And typically, the folks who succeed in cybersecurity in the public sector, 
they can make do with a lot less than others can, right? And so they're great finds for private industry as yeah. well. But I think that that's another thing that distinguishes them, right? The, the some of the things we heard about and we write about is, you know, how do you think about maintaining that that relationship and that enablement and growth of the teams inside a sled so that they stay and they feel valued and they and as appreciated as they are. Jack, as um, you know, putting together the sled education report. What other pieces or kind of what other angles do you like, are you kind of, uh, you feel like are most significant? Part of what we wanted to do is, was to talk a little bit about the trends as well that we're seeing, right? We, we've got hundreds of folks we serve and a lot of people wanted to talk, right? And there are some really common things that came out around post-plague, you know, the new normal after the pandemic. You know, how's that affected what you were describing earlier, which is that, increased need for availability of services to folks. They don't want to go to the town offices anymore. They don't want to go to the state yeah. offices. They want to do things remotely because they were encouraged to stay away from other humans for a while, right? So, you know, we wanted to report on some of those trends. And I think what we saw, and, and, and it's in the report, but what, what we saw in those reports was that um, some of the trends to that um, securing of remoteness was in some ways more crucial for the... Um, sled organizations, but a little more difficult to implement because they can't mandate the way that people will connect to them. Because to right. your point, they're supposed to be providing services to everyone. So that right. was, there was some interesting trends, you know, around the way that that happened. Another was um, uh, one of our partners, uh, the team at Splunk had done a bunch of work in understanding how to help folks to collaborate. And we had seen folks collaborate. And actually there's a piece in there, which is the interview on what we're doing in Cruise. Um, but the idea was that Information sharing is really the only way that a lot of these sled organizations are going to get home, right? The vendors aren't spending a ton of time with them. The vendors aren't spending, you know, enormous resources to gather information and form best practices specifically. Because I think there's this mistaken presumption on the part of some vendors that if private sector could just elevate, the uh, public sector could just elevate themselves, you know, to be the same way as the private sector is, they should just adopt all their practices because they really haven't had the time or spent the time to invest in understanding the sled marketplace. Yeah. Which is, an, which is sort of another reason. So that, so that, that urgency of communication. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the analogy, like it's uh, another example of like hammer always looking for a nail. Mm. I'm like, well, this is the wrong tool for the job. Right on. It's, um, you know, kind of listening to you talk. It's, uh, People make some really forward assumptions, like what can be done with a certain piece of technology or tool set, right? It'd be like going to the store, buying art supplies. Like you buy a canvas, you buy an mm -hmm. easel, you buy all your paintbrushes, you uh, buy your paints, right? But by the way, that thing does not paint itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> like right. And you don't want me touching the brushes. <laughs> right. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. So there's um there's kind of like the the orchestration and the art artistry that has to occur. Yeah. And in sled, I mean, like you said it's it's individual, but there's like there's a piece of uh, collaboration that I have to give credit to like the like the security leaders that exist within the industry. Say like all the ones that we talked to and all the all the many many people that participated in the report is like they're all public servers, but they're all trying to figure out how to collaborate better is really like it's only in their best interest yeah. to collaborate better and they can do their jobs faster, more efficiently with less pain. If they do adopt a broad based collaboration, mm -hmm. like it just, it just makes everybody's job a million times easier based on their specific industry. And, um, I feel like at times like that's really opposite yeah. 
to how our industry has been trained to think about it. Like we kind of hold everything like really tight. Fact, we don't any really bad security share. news is private. Fact. Yeah. And you certainly, like if you have a security challenge, like you certainly don't want to share it with someone else. Right on. Right. And it's like almost like a, like reference on oneself. Right. Which yeah. is like not, and then none of these people that we talked with seem, seem to have that mindset. Right. It was, it's all, it's all very forward thinking and progressive. You know, in terms of mistake and presumptions, um, there was one thing that what I found really, really interesting in doing the research. Uh, there is this, this belief on the part of uh, vendors and folks who deal mainly in private sector that the reason why security is really, really difficult in public sector, specifically in SLED, is because they don't have any resources, right? Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we help them do this with duct tape and a cheese sandwich? Because that's really all they're going to have. It's not true, right? There's really smart people, both who are financing and then operating and designing what should go on in, in the public sector. And what they're mainly trying to figure out is how do they optimize? How do they expand? How do they do it strategically? So they're not just doing stupid stuff all the time because they're forced to justify what they're doing in terms, again, that people who are not cybersecurity people or IT people can really understand and advocate as something good that happened. And so for me, a real eye opener was the fact that budget isn't the biggest problem in this part of the industry. Cybersecurity people, you're always hearing like, wah, 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 I need more money. And you ask them, well, tell me about your results from the last money. Well, I bought some stuff, you know, and so it, it, you know, there isn't necessarily a direct one-to-one relationship between what yeah. they spent and the value they can demonstrate. Whereas my experience in public sector has been, they really are not as poverty stricken, right? I forget who it was who wrote the security poverty line. It's a security person who's written about the security hmm. poverty line a number of times. And I'll put the, the thing in the show notes so that people have it. But I don't think that poverty line is where people think it is, right? I think that the effective spend of money is you probably can make do with a lot of what you have and be 100% better than you are if you just spend a little bit more intelligently. And I was really impressed by the, what we saw in the SLED community about the rigor they put into their spend. It's rigor, but it's also, um, <clears throat> there's a level of thoughtfulness. Yeah that kind of comes in with the after servicing of some of these things. And it seems there's more of a shift to the, the back to basics, yeah. right? It was like filling in the gaps in between the technologies. And I feel like some of the security leaders now are trying to solve, solve that issue. Yeah. Right. And, um, just good. It's good. I mean, they're, they're doing, they're doing stuff that, um, I'm not sure a lot of people initially gave credit for. Right on. So it's a big applause to the group. Fact. Yeah. And before we give away the entire CPR, and we're going to be doing it in different pieces, probably a good place to end it on that positive note. <laughs> All right. Solid. Um, if you need honest cybersecurity help, uh, visit us at newharborsecurity.com. If there are topics you want to talk about that relate to state, local, higher ed market, we've done a lot of work in the space. We've done a lot of research with really smart people who are happy to share. So let us know. Same place, same place for questions. Throw it into the mailbag. Everybody knows we love the mailbag. Yeah, you've got mail. All right, we'll get you on the next episode. <laughs>